It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. White supremacy is not 1920s Jim Crow South burning crosses and hanging up black people by nooses. This is the reality that in today's America, you're either one of two things. You are an anti-racist or you are a racist. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry, Real Housewives of New York and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Edition. Now, I just want to say welcome, you guys. Welcome. I'm feeling a little bit like June in The Handmaid's Tale. I feel like I'm carrying the torch for several dozens of people who are still Team Crystal and Team Ebony. I hear you. I'm with you. I support you. We can link arms and we can get through this because you were right. You can look in the mirror and say, you are right. You are right. You're on the right side of history and everybody else is wrong. These two franchises in this moment, I feel like are so divided and so... I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. There's just... There's a division happening that I have not felt in the Bravo Housewives community in such a long time. And it's it's a, a lot. It's exhausting. It's hard to even look at, like, the fandom. It's weird for me to say this because I have a podcast, right? <laughs> it's weird for me to say that I don't really feel... I feel like my podcast is kind of on the outskirts of the Bravo podcast because I don't purely talk about Bravo. And I feel like not really a part of the fandom, if that makes sense. Even though I'm probably directly contributing to some sort of Bravo fandom in some type of way, right? Um, With that being said, I don't really... Like, you know, what I see about Bravo and what I see about the Housewives are just things that I see in passing. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups, but I mostly just lurk and like, I'll look at like the tweets and I'll see how people have been receiving Crystal and Ebony is like deeply upsetting. Every week it gets worse. (laughs) And every week I just feel like the circle gets more and more small, but we're a loud majority. We're a loud majority. And I just want you guys to know that you are right. If you are 
feeling like Crystal is dealing with a lot of bullshit, I'm here for you. And you were right. If you feel like Ebony is dealing with a lot of bullshit and she is trying to navigate this space in a way that feels authentic to her. And yes, maybe it's uncomfortable for some people, but that's the truth. You know, I'm here. I'm here and I see you. Anyway, y'all, let's get into Roni. So, Leah invites all the women to Salem, Massachusetts, city of witches, city of, I don't know what else. (laughs) Uh, The Red Sox, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Um, Isn't it weird? I live only a few hours from Boston. Never been, never been. And I'm scared. I'm scared to go because racism. (laughs) Is that fair? People from Boston have to be... Like, do people from Boston know that the stereotype about them is, like, the first thing is that they're completely racist? That really sucks. I can't think of another town in America that has, like, the first thing you think of is, oh, I shouldn't go there because white people are going to hate me. <laughs> like, there are a lot of... Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Let's get on because I have so much to talk about. Okay. So, our first real scene we see... Ramona having lunch with Bershon, and they talk about the Harlem night party. Now, Bershon, oh, Lord, um, I just, I don't get it, you guys. Like, I don't get why people are just like, oh my God, fawning over her. She's the best. She's a queen. She's an icon. Like, I don't get it. And that's no shade to her. She's fine. But I'm kind of like with Ebony, like, I don't think Bershon and I would really get along because of how she, in my opinion, seems to cater to these women in a way that I couldn't and wouldn't. And so that would just be a bit of a block for me. So I'm not really understanding why people like her so much, but like, I'm down for her story. I think it's incredible that she is a cancer survivor, thinking for sure that she was going to die. Like, that is an incredible thing to go through. But like, I... I don't really care about any of the rest of it, to be honest with you. Not really showing me why she's staying at this point. And now I'm getting like, oh, okay, is this why she didn't get full status as a housewife? Because she's kind of boring. And who's, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Anyway, Ramona and Bershon have lunch. And this is why I feel like Ramona likes Bershon, is that, Bershon will say the things that Ramona wants to say, but in Ramona's mind, it sounds better coming from a black person. And in that way, it's like, oh, it's literally like Bershon is Ramona's one black friend. And she uses her as the sounding board and the speaker for all black people. I don't like it. And I don't understand why, even if Bershon feels how she feels and she genuinely feels that way. I don't understand why she wouldn't tighten it up just a little bit because how does she not see what Ramona's doing or trying to do to her? I don't get it. So they're talking about the Harlem night party and Ramona, Rashawn is like, Oh, I just thought it was a little bit strange that you left and the vertigo, like you left really abruptly. I got the feeling that maybe because of the way you left that you 
weren't really feeling it. And I was like, well, why would you say that? Maybe you weren't feeling it either. Maybe that's why you're saying, you know, you're projecting that onto me. So Ramona's trying to do some mind tricks on Bershon to get her to say what she wants her to say or what she feels, but she doesn't want to say it. And they basically agree that the Harlem night party was a hard sell. And even though it was educational, in a confessional, Bergeon says that she felt like Ebony's event was long-winded, but she liked what she was trying to do in an attempt to teach the girls because it's like a, oh, if you guys want to learn about us, we want to learn about you, which, okay, okay. Then we see Ebony taking Sonia to Philadelphia. Ebony and Sonia, my new favorite duo. They are our power couple. I love their love. I love that they're rooting for each other and they love each other and they respect each other and they see each other. And I like it. And I like that it's what Ebony, what we see Ebony from Ebony and Sonia is what it feels like Ramona and Luann are asking for out of Ebony, which is like, we just want to see the softer sides of you. We just want to see these other sides of you, these friendship sides of you. But what they don't understand is that Ebony feels unsafe with them. She likes them. Maybe not as much Luann, but she likes Ramona and she says as much and she wants to have a friendship with them, but she clearly feels as though, Sonia gets it and they do not. Ramona and Luann do not. And so maybe on paper, it doesn't sound great to say like, Hey, I feel safe with you. And therefore you get this side of me, but that's how friendship is, right? We only expose the sides of people that we feel safest with. That's that. I mean, otherwise we would all be friends, right? <laughs> So they're in the car on the way to Philly. They're both bonding about how they're single women who are essentially alone in the city. And Ebony even, you know, gives a throwback from earlier the season where Luann and Sonia kind of tag team her and were like, hey, we haven't seen you all summer. You haven't come to our houses. What's going on? You've been avoiding us. When you go through emotional stuff, it's like you don't want to talk to us. And Ebony affirms her of like, I kind of deal with my emotions that way too. If I'm feeling some type of way, I kind of shut down and shut myself off from the world. Don't feel like, don't let them make you feel bad about that. So then they talk about how when Ebony was at Ramona's house, Ramona kind of threw Luann and Sonia under the bus by saying, we all had this conversation before you got here about, you know, you always bringing up race and equality and, oh, you know, uh, Sonia felt the same way, even though we see the conversation where Sonia is being pretty diplomatic about the whole thing and says, we're dealing with a woman whose life's work precedes what happened in summer of 2020. This is her career. This is her passion to talk about equality and talk about race and this isn't just like a, a cause du jour for her. And we need to understand that like, this is part of the Ebony package. And um, Ramona's response to that is, well, you're talking about her business and we're not talking, you know, we're not her business. Like we shouldn't have to deal with how 
she is on her business side, but um, are we going to talk about this being the literal franchise that Skinny Girl made? Uh, if we want to talk about not talking about business, Ramona, True Faith Jewelry, singer, Ramona, Ramona Pino Grigio, singer, Ramona, uh, True Faith Skincare singer, um, Ramona, I'm trying to be a real estate agent singer. Okay, um, so we're not going to talk about business. Then let's not talk about business, right? We dealt with like a couple seasons of Luann's deranged cabaret career. But now all of a sudden, we have a problem talking about our business. What happened to supporting other women? What happened to, oh, Bethany, you don't support other women. Uh, what happened to that? What happened to that? What happened to Wow Bethany? Wow, you didn't want to come to my my skincare uh, event. How betrayed? What a betrayal! We're not really friends like that. Are, am I remembering incorrectly? So now we're not talking about business. Okay. So he brings up again the fact that yeah, these situations and these conversations are going to be uncomfortable. But the only way to get out is through and we have to sit in these uncomfortable moments she has no problem doing that and then ebony talks about how yeah i can be fun i don't always have to be heavy and i don't need that label put on me and sonia's like you know basically she feels like they luann and ramona cannot have a deep conversation that they always are shutting her down so she can relate to how ebony is feeling so then we see ebony and Sonia meet up with Devin, the matchmaker. Devin from real world back to New York where they were living in Red Hook and that warehouse in Red Hook. What a throwback. (laughs) What a throwback there. I guess she's on the challenge now. I don't really watch the challenge, but wow. That was like maybe the last solidly decent season of the real world after we had all the was that the skeleton season no that was the season with chet that a republican guy and i think he may have been mormon and he was always wear this um like tucker carlson bow ties and i think now he might be not quite like oh who are those two that got married and sean and Rachel and now they're both like conservative commentaries I think that is what Chet is trying to do he hasn't quite gotten there I think he might be on like a Tommy Laren level of visibility amongst the conservative crowd maybe not even that maybe not even that anyway um wow that was a really good season I remember really I don't remember having an opinion on Devin but I do remember Chet and how much he sucked anyway so Devin from the real world was on <laughs> was on uh, Real Housewives of New York and they're talking about you know what it is that Ramona's really looking for in a man Ebony in a confessional brings up a great point of again she married the bank are we going to find her a broke man absolutely not so Sonia's talking you know I like to stay home but I also like a worldly guy and I you know like she like she says at one point something along the lines of ebony sees me she doesn't see the straw that stirs the drink she sees me for who i am basically what she's saying is like ebony has an understanding of who i am off camera 
and the person that I am without the show. And so I'm trusting her because I see that she sees my vision. And she says she doesn't care about age. She says she's marriage minded and that she wants to get married. And she turns to Ebony and says, because I'm, what did you call me? I'm a grown ass woman. (laughs) And she's just so tickled. I just love, I love seeing just like, Sonia's just such a a mensch to me. She's such a doll. And I just like, I love the moments where you see that Sonia feels taken care of because she's so happy and she's so bubbly and she's so light and you get it. You get why Sonia, she's just so charming. And I like that Ebony has taken the time to invest in Sonia to see she's like, kind of the wounded dog here in these situations where Ramona and Luann are just like stealing all her kibble, you know, not letting her eat, not letting her have her moment, acting like she's a joke. And I just love that Ebony decided to take that on. I really do. Because somebody deserves it. So we're back to the city. We see the ladies getting ready for Salem. We see Luann tell her assistant that, oh, I'm I'm going to a haunted house, so I need a a chapeau, (laughs) which for some reason, I don't speak French, but I somehow knew in the back of my mind that chapeau was French for hat. And so (laughs) I don't know why, um, is that in class with the countess that if you're attending a haunted house, that you should bring a chapeau with you because that's the proper um, dress code. I'm not sure, but the assistant puts all the hats on the bed so that Luann could look at it. Luann flips out and is like, don't you know that's bad luck? I think this might be like an old cowboy thing. What do you call it? Like an old wives tale. Um, apparently it's bad luck. It's along the same lines of like, don't put your uh, purse on the ground, that sort of thing. Um, everybody gets on this tour bus. Leah got the tour bus and she's all excited and, Ramona has acted like she's never seen a tour bus before. She is comparing it to a luxury coach, like a train. (laughs) And is amazed that there are actually beds on this tour bus. Ramona really lives a life. It's terrifying. It's really terrifying. Of all the people... Can I just do like a quick list of the five housewives that I would be most terrified to live even a day as them. Like if we had to do like a freaky Friday switch, Ooh, who are the housewives that would be most terrified about switching? Uh, Ramona, um, Gretchen, Rossi, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Definitely Gretchen. Um, who else would be terrifying? I mean, Kelly, I'm really any of the real housewives of orange County. Maybe I'll just make that one. <laughs> any of the real housewives of orange County past or present with the exception of like, Heather Debro, I would be terrified. Um, who else would be a terrifying life that I would want to live? Um, Teresa, Teresa for sure. Uh, who else? Like who from Atlanta? I'm pretty good with Atlanta. I, I'd be pretty devastated to have to live Kenya's life. I mean, the mark of it all alone. <laughs> no, that's a haunted house of itself. And who would be rounding up number five? So we got Ramona, all of the Real Housewives of Orange County franchise except for Heather DeBro, Gretchen, well, no, not Gretchen, um, 
Kenya. Okay, Teresa. And then... Ooh, who would be after that? Ooh, Dallas. Who in Dallas would I be terrified? Brandy. Because then that one daughter is, like, really scary. She's, like, terrifying. And I just, like, wouldn't want her waking me up at night and just, like, breathing over me. It would be Brandy, for sure. Okay. That was apropos of nothing. Anyway, so... <laughs> where, is I, where was I? Ramona's freaked out about the tour bus. Okay. So Luann asks... Everybody gets on the bus, and Luann asks Sonia how the trip to Philly went. And she's like, you know, well, um, but... They found somebody for me, but also Luann, I need something else for me, which is a good vibrator because the vibrator that I got last time from you girls ended up in the chicken last season. If you're not, uh, if we're recalling correctly, so I'm going to need your help. And so Luann and Bershon and Sonia get around the laptop to pick out, uh, vibrators for one another. And, you know, I love that. I love that. I use the bus's Wi-Fi to find some pleasure for yourself and I just wanted to know which ones because I feel like I heard Brashawn say rabbit at one point but there was one that they were all looking at and obviously the screen was blurred out and they were like oh yeah that's the one that's the classic one and it had to be the Hitachi right like we all know the Hitachi is the holy grail anyway um (laughs) so then okay we start talking to Oh, then Brashawn is like, oh, I just love these girls because we can bond over sex toys. And I guess she's trying to be almost like a Samantha Jones because she was talking at the Harlem Nights about how she had a girlfriend who was like crazy about this dude, but they had a really small dick. And she is really like trying, I think, to be like, oh, I'm fun, sexy. I can talk about sex. I can have open conversations, sex toys, blah, blah, blah. It's just very 2015 or 2010 for me, this concept of like, we can talk about vibrators. It like, okay, you should be, you should be able to do that. That's not like, that doesn't, it's not like a parlor trick, you know, it's not that special to me, but maybe I just roll in different circles. Um, so anyway, I, then Bershawn says, don't you guys think it's, isn't it crazy that we've all been divorced? And I'm thinking, okay, you're all women, presumably, at least over the age of 45. I don't know how old Brashawn is, but let's say 45. Given the divorce rates in this country, it's not really that weird, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Brashawn talks more about her cancer diagnosis and how she was married to a British banker. She had gotten diagnosed with cancer two weeks before the wedding. Now, I wonder if they had given her that three-month um, thing. What do you call it? Like if they had told her she only had three months to live before her wedding, I mean, that's really harrowing. I would have liked to hear more about that. Like, let's talk about how it affected your relationship. Let's talk about how it affected your marriage. Let's talk about the stress of thinking you're about to have this like major moment of getting married and starting a new chapter in your life. And then the doctors tell you that you really don't have much of a life left to live at the time, she thought. I would have wanted to hear more about that. Because I really don't want to come off as insensitive. Like, it is a wild story to tell, and she should tell it to everyone. But I also just feel like we've heard the same format of the story twice now. 
and I think two times is enough. If we're we're gonna talk about it, like let's let's open it up to some different avenues, right? That really sounds so mean, and I feel bad for saying it, but I hope you guys understand what I mean. It's not that I I don't find her story boring. I think it's incredible. I just would like to hear it told in a different way or from a different angle is all. Um, so then what happens after that? Okay. So the ladies pull up to the Hawthorne hotel. The manager is like pure Boston accent talking about the Hawthorne and it, there was James Hawthorne and this is his, you know, <laughs> whatever. I can't do a, a Boston accent, but the ladies trying to tell them like, Oh, there were 19, Killings, people got stabbed, drownings, murders, hangings, lynchings, whatever. And all the women are confused because they think that the events that she's talking about all happened in the hotel. But the lady's just talking about Salem. Like, these are things that happened in Salem. Um, so then Leah, Leah starts to get freaked out about the painting on the wall. And I'm looking at this painting like, it looks just like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know what it <laughs> was freaking her out about. Um literally could have been pulled like they could have somebody could have done a painting from the puffy sleeved uh episode of Seinfeld and I you I would not have known the difference um of course the only thing that Ramona is concerned about is the level of luxury and the ability to take advantage of every possible amenity and service that the hotel has to offer and she just wants to know if room service is included in her room the girls all get a package um like a little gift basket and luann decides to use the sage that was provided to sage her bedroom because she's hoping that maybe she can get some good juju or even get lucky that night and i would like to hear more about that luann do you believe that ghost sex is real have you ever had it? I want to know the details. So for the first night, Leah has planned a latex and lace party or a leather and lace. I think it's latex and lace party. And I just love to see Ebony getting ready by herself because that was me. That was me getting ready for an event by myself. Um, being like, oh, I have to put my edges down. Um, what can I use? I'm not going to go to the bathroom. Oh, here I have a gin and tonic my pregame drink before me. I'll try and fix my hair with that. And then you have to do the testing out of the outfit, which she does looks in the mirror and does like a cute little snake full body roll situation just to make sure that everything is okay. And I get that. You got to test out the goods before you go out there. Cause you never know. You never know. She goes downstairs, Leah and Sonia are waiting. And again, she's just like, Sonia has such a girl crush on Ebony. She gets so excited. She's like, you look like Halle Berry and Catwoman, which she did. And um, she was like in this full leather cat suit. And then when Ebony starts twerking, she gets so excited. Sonia gets so excited. And it's like, oh, look, she's tweaking. <laughs> Leah calls her a boomer in the in her confessional, which was corny, but also not untrue. So the plan is that they're going to this restaurant that is also a tattoo parlor. And a couple of the women are deciding whether or not they should get tattoos. And, you know, we get back to this whole like respectability of what it means for a woman to have a tattoo. And Ramona's like, oh, I could never blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, how much work have you had done on your body? I mean, I know that's like different than a tattoo, but is it, is it, 
I mean, <laughs> you're talking about how you don't want your body to look any different, but girl, we see you from season one. Um, maybe we should just not judge. Anyway, um, so what happens after that? Okay, I- I'm so out of it today. <laughs> I cannot concentrate for the life of me. Here's what it is, is that I don't really consume a lot of caffeine. I don't really drink uh sodas or coffee this is a problem is that I had a chai and I don't it's been about a week since I've had caffeine maybe more and so now I'm like like I feel like I could run this like did he run the city right now and it's hard (laughs) but I'm here I'm here and I'm back okay so the ladies are going to this tattoo parlor restaurant and Sonia starts talking about her trip to Philly with Ebony and she says you know, we had a really great time, and for any of you guys who are interested, Luann and Ramona, um, Ebony was very chill. We had a lovely time. There was no conversation about the current movement, no conversation about the election, and Ebony chimes in and says, yeah, we were just able to talk about girl stuff. And Brashawn's like, where is this coming from, Sonia? And Sonia says, well, when Ebony first joined the group... She was talking a lot about the movement and Black Lives Matter. And Brashawn says, well, what's wrong with that? And Sonia says, well, some people felt like she was being a little bit heavy. But Ebony came into this group. She wanted to make a statement. And sometimes that could be uncomfortable with people. And the cameras keep flashing to Luann and Ramona. Because clearly she's talking about them. And their faces are tighter than there would be fresh out of the spa getting Botox. They are pissed, especially Luann. So Ebony continues and says, I know you girls know that I can have fun, but Sonia is spot on. Um, When I came into the group, I wanted to make sure you guys knew where I stood on the issues so that there was no confusion. And so at that point, we can kiki and have laughs. And Ramona tries to shut her down and interrupt her. And Ebony very gently is like, Okay, let me finish what I'm going to say. We can have a good time, but we can't do that if I feel in my heart and my mind that you're aligned with white supremacy. So at that point, Ramona throws her hands up and stares at Luann like, oh my God, I can't believe she just said that. I cannot believe we're doing this again. And in a confessional, Ebony says something that I think people needed to hear. And I hope that she reiterated this to the And I think she did. But I think it's a conversation that we need to have more nationally is that when black people say you are aligned with white supremacy, your whatever associations are rooted in white supremacy. When you use the term white supremacy, white people automatically think cross burning KKK hood wearing, just outright um, blatant acts of racism. But the more pervasive issue in this country are not those blatant people who are obviously unabashedly proudly racist. It is the microaggressions, the indirect comments, the things that come up that are ingrained within people that make black people inferior to them or Um, make them more violent in their minds, scary, um, all sorts of things. These little things that come up that add up to a lot when you put it all together. And Ebony says, 
The reality is that in today's America, you are one of two things. You're either anti-racist or you're a racist. That's what it is. And that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, there really isn't a whole lot of nuance to being a Trump supporter. There really isn't because we have seen the blatant things that have come out of the administration and the people that associate it with that. And God, I don't want to talk about Trump. (laughs) It just hit me like, I don't want to talk about that bitch anymore. But the fact of the matter is we're now at a point where there have been long lines drawn and there are, there really is no more space for nuance. And we really need to recognize like who we're associating with and we just need to know that. The Ramona again tries to divert the conversation back to the matchmaking and Sonia, but Luann's like confused and says to Ebony, why do you think that we're aligned with white supremacy? Because we had this conversation in Sag Harbor. We got through it. I thought we all came to the table and had a conversation about this. And in Ramona's confessional, she says she thinks it's ridiculous because none of them have given Ebony any indicator that they might align with white supremacy. Uh, (laughs) Hard disagree, Ramona. Hard disagree. Um, And then Luann says, you know, I think we're all doing a good job. And Ebony is like, well, you need to speak for yourself. Excuse me. Luann says, I think we're all doing a good job. And Ramona, excuse me, Ebony says, I think you need to speak for yourself, which gets Ramona all upset. And then Ebony, again, very gently, I noticed that she was being very self-spoken. I noticed when Ramona was not um, running around like a weird ass chicken with her head cut off with a cat suit on um, around this place to try to avoid the conversation that she was speaking very softly to Ramona. She was putting her hand on her leg to like soothe her. She was doing these things to try and tell her you don't have to be combative. This is a safe space. I'm going to be honest with you, but don't take my honesty for aggression. So it was these like micro, um, I don't know what the term would be like micro deescalations, if you will of her being tactile and speaking with a hushed tone and saying, okay, Ramona, like uh, just being very overt and clear with Ramona. I understand this, but also I understand X, but Y I understand Y, but Z and that's okay. And it's okay, Ramona. I'm speaking to you gently. We can have this conversation. So you guys can't say that I'm very angry, you know, and I'm, letting you get up and scream and talk about dancing and I'm allowing you to do that and here we are we're we're in a safe space space and it's okay so she says to Ramona I felt like when I came to your house the other day you tried to shut me down a little bit and you said you didn't want to talk about race religion creed (laughs) and Ramona says we kept preaching to us and then teaching and preaching and teaching and She points to Bershawn and says, even she said it was too much. Even, even the black one, even the other black one said it was too much. So you can't get mad at me because Bershawn said it too. 
But rather than owning anything that she said or done, Ramona has adopted this. Well, the other person said it. Well, we have this conversation and they said it. They said it to me. You know, why is it always on me? It's not like, it's never a, I'm regretful of how I'm thinking and I'm apologizing. It's no, but they're on my side too. So there's got to be something to it, right? So then Leah cuts in and says, it's, I don't think it's a subject. I don't think it's the fact that Ebony was talking about racism. I think it's really more of Ebony's personality. Because when a woman, a woman typically enters this group, there's a little bit of hazing. There's a little bit of getting shit on, but Ebony is not allowing you guys to do that to her. And then there's a little bit of a fourth wall break where Leah, um, says Ebony is the first black woman to enter this group and how much pressure that must be for her, especially with all the news coming out and her being the first black New York housewife. And Ramona's like, oh, well, you know, she shouldn't really worry about the press. I never read the press. Don't worry about that stuff. And she can handle herself. Isn't she working in the media? Like, why can't, why isn't this something that she can handle? And it, ugh, gross. And Leah finally tells her to shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up you live in a tiny bubble so far away from the reality and then leah tells ramona she's a moron and she's what's wrong with the world and that she needs to shut up (laughs) well she's not wrong but here's something that i will say that i have seen people talk about a lot on twitter is that ebony does not hold leah to the same standard that she holds the rest of the women at when it comes to, um, she didn't really hold her feet to the fire about not really wanting to vote. She didn't really, she just, there, it seems like there are a different set of rules for Leah than there are for the other women. And I don't disagree with that. So then Ramona pulls a classic Ramona of what she does when she wants to get out of a situation, which is to attempt to do some sort of shimmy, dancing, screaming, whatever the fuck to divert from what is actually going on. And Ebony in the moment is like, I just want to have, well, Ramona, Ramona's like, I just want to have fun, blah, blah, blah. I just want to have fun. And Ebony's like, do you want to remain ignorant? And, Ramona actually does sit down for a moment and Luann and Ramona try to give Bershawn the floor. Interestingly, everything in my spirit. So the reason why Luann and Ramona were so adamant to get Bershawn to speak was because they have seen her before say something like at the Harlem nights, you know, along the lines of all men's matter. We're all one under the rainbow, some bullshit. And they're hoping that she does it again. That's exactly why it was all the way sudden. So important that Luann make sure that Bershawn was able to speak up. Okay. Um, it's exactly what Bershawn does. Cause she says, you know, you want people to, uh, learn, I understand that, but sometimes you can come off a little bit harsh and a little bit teachy and you have to understand that that's how you come across to these women. Girl, in a confessional, Ebony says, I've already come to the terms of the fact that based on how we saw Bershawn act at Harlem Nights, that we have a very different approach to when it comes to how to handle these women. So respectfully, don't encroach on what I got going here. 
So Ebony at the table tells Brashawn, I receive what you're saying. And then she tells the group, listen, I understand that many of you have not had to sit in the uncomfortability of these conversations. And you probably feel like with me, it's every day, it's something else. And then Ebony brings up a time where Ramona told her that we don't always want to hear about your cause. And she's like, I understand that you meant well when you said that, but that's what you said. And then again, Ramona does the most predictable thing and proves every, everything, everything that Ebony was saying, which is the fact that like, she wants us to be able to talk about equal rights and celebrate that. But Ramona's like, well, I just don't understand what the issue is. You live a great life. You have Louis Vuitton language. I don't have Louis Vuitton language. Like, why are you sitting here talking about equality when you are more privileged? I would love to have your life. In fact, I would love to switch lives with you. I want your life. And Ebony flat out says, Ramona, I love you. I really think that we're this close to being sisters, but I can't get there if I have to have in the back of my hand an authentic question about whether or not you align with white supremacy so leah stops ebony and says okay like let's be clear what you mean by saying white supremacy because when people hear that they think it's the worst thing on the planet are you talking about donald trump and ebony says yes i'm not saying that everybody who voted for him is a white supremacist but some people that did are and basically what she's saying is to ramona is Clearly, we're on different sides of the aisle. If you want to say, hey, I'm not a racist. I voted for Trump for economic reasons. If you align with what he did with how he handled Iran, that's fine. Be prepared for a pushback, but we can have a dialogue. I am not the person who's going to shut you down. We can talk about this and we can have a back and forth. Ramona doesn't even want to do that. So, then Leah does something I found a little bit confusing and felt like this, I think I, I understand why people find themselves frustrated with Ebony because of how she treats Leah, because this kind of felt like Leah was throwing Ebony under the bus by saying, Hey, there's a lot out there in the media about your support of Trump during the 2016 election and how you were going to vote for him, blah, blah, blah. Ebony says, that's actually not the case. What happened was my mom voted for him. I would never support anything that Trump does. Didn't vote for him, blah, blah, blah. My mom voted for him in 2016. She had her own reasons. But that's what was out there. That's the news. And I know that, like, there have been a lot of rumblings about, you know, she, she used to work for Fox News. And I guess she maybe have, may have said something that was, like, slightly in his favor in 2016 that I just found it very interesting that Leah would even bring that up because Luann took that on immediately. It was like, Oh, so you're talking about white supremacy, but you voted for Trump. Oh, isn't that interesting? Like how, how dare you say anything? You know, I didn't vote for Trump. Did, did she say she voted for Trump 2016 Luann or was she the, one of the people who did she say she voted for Hillary? I can't remember, but I feel like she was one of the ladies who, when Andy asked who they voted for, she was one of the ones who didn't want to say shit. So there you go. Um, 
So Ebony tries to go back again and say, listen, if there were specific, not white supremacist, <laughs> not racist reasons for you to vote for Donald Trump, like, again, I would like to have that dialogue. We can do that. But Leah's like, this is too much. It's too much nuance for Ramona. She can't have a conversation like this because she really can't have any conversation. She barely speaks English and it's her first language. You would be shocked to see to know how little she knows about her own native language. You would never know that English is her first language. So Ramona takes another lap around the restaurant again. She comes back talking about, how, I want to play a game. Can we play a game? Let's play a game. I want to play a game. Game. And then Evan is like, girl, you're better than this. You're better than this moment. You're being really insensitive right now. In a confessional, Leah's like, I think Ramona, wherever she went when she left the group, I think she should have just stayed there because she's coming back and doing this I'm white dance. I don't know if she's ever going to live it down. <laughs> Ramona truly was so embarrassing. Um... Then Ramona, again, just like really tells on herself and tells her true feelings and says, you know, I feel like we always have to talk about race with Ebony and Ebony's like, well, I'm still black. And Ramona's like, well, I'm still white. I'm white. Okay. Do you want me to be mad that my mother, my mother was an immigrant and she didn't have anything and I'm white. Should I be mad about white? Do you want me to be mad that you're white? Well, whatever she said. Girl, embarrassing. Why are you not embarrassed of yourself? Avery. I mean, I'm, I'm desperate for, to call for Avery to take the wheel, but oh, let's just have a moment. Can we get Stassi's diversity coach on the line for Ramona? Like, let's do it. Ugh, okay, let's talk about Beverly Hills. Okay, I don't need that as much as I, I am need. Not I okay. need you to be okay. I am okay. so not okay. Listen to me. I can't get it together. All right, what are you doing? Are you crying? No. Hey, what's going on? I have very bad allergies. Oh my God, I'm fine. So I'm I'm bad, baby. I feel so bad. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Jesus Christ. Oh, oh God. I pray to Jesus every day. Thank you for throwing me a what's bone. I just need a bone, you know? What's what happened? happened? I'm upset, y'all. Oh my God, I think Sutton is more hormonal than my kids. And All right, let's skip on over to Beverly Hills. Girl, Sutton, ma'am, get it together. More on that later. We started the episode with Sutton screaming, yelling, fuck you, Crystal. We're getting flashes to, uh, you know, a very busy tablescape. Crystal saying, you're upset because you're jealous. Sutton's turning around and saying, jealous of what? Your ugly leather pants. And everybody's confused. Kyle's chasing after Sutton. The camera's suddenly rewind back to where it all began with Harry and Lisa at the grocery store. Lisa decided to have some sort of a night with Harry Hamlin. I'm not sure if the women um, all put in to some sort of charity to get him on camera for this long and cooking for them. Who knows? I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, He's going to be making his famous bolognese. I love that Lisa is like, (laughs) very just calmly and as if with no sense of irony at all it's like harry's bolognese is so well known he makes it in canada and everybody loves it (laughs) as if he's like the fucking paul newman of can does harry have a line of bolognese in in the greater canada area for our, our neighbors up to the north from whatever you call it 
have you heard of Harry's Bolognese? Have you had it? Let me know. Please reach out to me. Everyone's business but mine at gmail.com. Are you a Canadian who's had or experienced Harry's Bolognese? Run, don't walk. So they're going to the grocery store, getting all their ingredients. And once they're ready, this is where the childhood trauma within me was triggered. I don't know about you guys, but I had the kind of mom who would, we would go to the grocery store. We would spend what felt like days there, hours. I felt like I just spent whole lifetimes and and patches of time of my life in like one setting of the grocery store trip. And then as soon as we're ready, we're in line. I knew it would come. The anxiety would come. And my mom would remember that she forgot something. And then here's little seven-year-old Kara in the line, much like Harry Hamlin, as Lisa has now gone rogue. She's talking to the butcher. She's talking, oh, here's the coffee I like. Oh, Whispering Angel. I just want to double check and see if they have that. Harry's left there to like try and make small talk with the bag boy, the bag person, excuse me. And, you know, nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. I mean, fortunately for Harry's case, he's like an adult who can pay for the food and then stand there and have the life skills to have a conversation with a stranger. But I'm thinking, again, seven-year-old Kara, who is like um, holding up the line saying, I don't know where my mother is. I don't know where she is. She's probably going to get another um, one of those like Snackwell's chocolate cookie bullshits. I don't know. I don't have any money. I can't help you. <laughs> this stressed me. It genuinely did trigger something with me. Please don't. If 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 it's time to check out and you forgot something, you better beeline it or get your child to go get it so that they don't look like a dumbass. Okay. Ooh, triggered. Okay, so let's come back to 35-year-old Kara, who has uh, worked worked with this. Um, so where are we going? So that was really it with them. I liked seeing our little flashes of, of Harry Hamlin. I really did. Um, the next scene, we see Erica and Crystal go over into Kathy's place to t- play tennis. Kathy will not be playing tennis. You guys are welcome on the grounds. I will make sure that the security guard doesn't shoot you right in the neck upon sight. I will make sure of that. Erica, Crystal, Crystal's friends, you guys have a great time. Erica, again, doing another play to be likable and says, you know, I'm going out here and I'm doing things that I don't play tennis, but I just want to get out of the house so I'm not sitting there and wallowing. And Crystal, on the other hand, is killing it. To the surprise of no one, she is an icon. She is sporty. She is athletic. And she likes to win. I love that she said in a confessional, like, I'm really competitive. I know that. I'm a tomboy. I've been called by someone the most hideously competitive person that they know. But I don't feel that way. And, you know, honestly, whoever said that was probably a loser. So I agree. I agree. Um... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, when it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/everyone'sbusiness today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/everyone'sbusiness. After they're done. Kathy comes shuffling out, and she's got some blue and white pajamas, and she says she just woke up forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> and of course, thank you to the editors to let us know that it was what ten fifty in the morning. So she just woke up at ten o'clock. I'm not mad at it. Listen, she's a lady of leisure. Okay, what 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 does she need to wake up for? She said she was exhausted from her vacation. And she needed to sleep in. I don't see the problem with it, and I don't appreciate the shade. Okay, um, I got chills just getting an eye on even a corner of Casa de Hilton. Now I'm not the person who subscribes to the idea that these people are like uber wealthy, upper echelon one percent. Because I do my googles. I know enough about this branch of the Hiltons to know that Rick was the half of the children that did not get the uh, inheritance that they thought they were going to get. So, like, listen, they could spit in my face and call me a broke bitch, and they would be right. Are they rich, 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 rich? Like we would expect the Hilton name to be? No, I think that. Everybody in that family has benefited from Paris's、uh, tenure as a celebrity, and I think that their money probably has opportunities and whatnot have come in because because of that. But I am pretty sure that like a pre-famous Paris Hilton,、um, Kathy and Rick were probably along the lines of like maybe a season. Four to five Kardashian portfolio. If you're picking up. With that being said, I still want to see what's going on. I want to know what's happening. These are clearly, even if they're not a ton of money, they're still old money. Not super old money, but you know, old enough, old American money. And I want to see what they're doing. So, wow, I was a little bit surprised at how. Martha Stewart,、um, 
like eastern seaboard, the living quarters, the kitchen and the living room and the den that we saw. It was very Hamptons. It was very, not even Hamptons. I would say maybe like very Kennebunkport. And I appreciated that. The whole blue and white, I mean, it looked like something that Patricia Altschul from Southern Charm, you would have seen that in her house. No doubt about it. It was all the blue and white, just like, ooh, I am an old -er woman um, who is spending my money and all the money's going into the drapes. And iconic that Kathy was matching the whole decor. She knew. She knew. I'm going to give you guys a whole moment. I need Architectural Digest. Have they done uh, Welcome to Kathy Hilton's Home? I need to know. And I want to see it. By the way, I've heard that the negotiations are already underway for Kathy to officially hold a diamond. But what I'm hearing is that she really is... I think being very smart by saying that she just wants to remain a friend of. I think that's really where she shines. I think there were a couple moments in this episode where she was taking her like, I'm a dumb Kathy Hilton shtick a little too far, a little too cutesy for me. I think she's got to play this very, very well. I think people have put her on a pedestal, myself included, to being this like, oh, she's so funny. Look at her. Look, wow. I can't believe we've been waiting all this time for Kathy and here she is. A, I think she's here right on time. Right on time. I think we have not, as much as we've been calling for the presence of Kathy Hilton on this franchise, I think she came at the perfect, perfect moment. Um, With that being said, obviously she needs a season two. And also with that being said, she needs to play it very, very well because like I said, people put her on a pedestal and I think she, like we're seeing with Leah, let's say, um, is getting a little too, it's very easy to get in that bubble. And especially when Kathy, well, I mean, it's not fair to say that Kathy doesn't know what, uh, reality TV is because she's been on reality TV shows, but it's fair to say, like, once you get into that Bravo bubble of, oh my God, you're an icon, you're a legend, you're the moment, you're so funny, you're this, you're that, we love you, we're obsessed with you, we can't live without you, Kathy. That it's very easy to hear that and get in that hive mind of everybody loves me, and then the bitch flower booms, and then you, you know, here we have Leah, and now everybody fucking hates her. So I just, my prayer for Kathy is that she is smart enough to know, hey, keep it funky, keep it like this, remain a friend of, maybe open up your life just a little bit more, a little bit more. I don't personally need to see Rick, you know? I don't need it. I don't need that. I don't, we're definitely not getting those boys. I mean, no shade, but shade. Um... You know, I don't even need to see Paris. I, I don't know. I, I would like to see more of Kathy, but like, I'm, I'm just happy to see Kathy at her home. Just shuffling around, you know, fresh face at 1050, just barely woken up. We can do that. I don't need to see any more of Kathy's life than what we're getting. And she does more. We'll get into later. Um, so like I said, Erica and Crystal are there. They're sitting down having little nibbles and... Erica starts talking about how small her house is. And Kathy, I thought, was 
again, playing the perfect role. She's being a supportive friend to Erica and saying, yeah, but like, maybe it's smaller than what you're used to, but it's what you need. It's all that you need. It's, you know, you, you could not have been able to handle that house on your own. It's fine. This is a new you. You're, then they start talking about how, you know, her, Erica's new life compares to her old life and, Erica's saying she's not really that social anymore. And Kathy gets it. She is the wife of a powerful man who says, yeah, you were maybe very much a lot more social in your marriage, but that was business stuff. And she even says, you know, this was also the social aspect was probably more of what Tom wanted. And Erica says, well, it was all of what he wanted. And then she winks at Kathy in a confessional. Erica says that, Really, this was maybe for the first time where I was like, okay, I, I get, I believe you and I'm on your level and we see each other. The past times where she's been attempting to give us grounded and humble Erica, it just really wasn't curling over for me. This was really the one time where I was like, okay, okay. So she says, listen, I met Tom 20 years ago. Everything in his life was complete. I was basically just inserted as a cog in the machine of Tom's life. And now after all that time, I'm free. Like, say what you will about Erica. Do I think that she, for the most part, knew what she was getting herself into being in that relationship and that marriage with Tom? I do. Do I feel for her? That doesn't mean that I can't, like, feel some sort of empathy for her. I do. I can empathize with that glass prison or that, you know, that gilded cage, right? Where, yeah, she has money. There are a lot of things that she did not have to worry about, but then you give up your sense of self. You give up. There's a lot to be said about like being financially stable on your own and having to rely on that as something that is always over your head especially when their relationship really wasn't that romantic it was more like a function a functional relationship I can understand like what it must feel like how jarring it must be to be like damn now I'm almost 50 and I went into this as a woman in my 20s a single mother lived this decades of my life. Now I'm almost 50. I have to rely on myself financially. I'm not beholden to anybody and the good and the bad that comes with that. Like one point for you, Erica, you got me on that one. Then we see Kathy go over to Kyle's house. Kyle's all the girls are there. They're taking their pictures with the dogs, the, you know, all these Christmas pictures. Um, and Kathy opens up, she, she shuffles in and, She's like, oh, should I get in the card? I'm like, I wish you would. I wish you would, Kathy. Um, but Kyle and Kathy sit down. Kathy pulls out all sorts of bits and bobs out of her purse. Like she's fucking Mary Poppins with an uh, offshore bank account. She's pulling out cans. I don't know what. She, all sorts of cans that you can spray things in. Was it water? Was it setting spray? hairspray I don't know she sprayed something on her face and given what we saw her in Tahoe putting um glue in her eye instead of <laughs> eye drops it's like it's any guess what she sprayed on her face um 
she I saw at one point uh one of those airport size airplane size cans of Canada dried ginger ale there was a bottle of water she there was like a two-week pack of one of those pill organizers <laughs> just incredible incredible work she says that she keeps um you know little sandals uh for in case she gets a pedicure there's sweaters kyle's in a confessional talking about how she's seen her with uh, drywall samples paint samples wallpaper samples just anything under the sun oh god love her so this is what i was talking about earlier the second part of why i found kathy to be so essential and this is the sweet spot that she needs to stay in because then they started talking about kim and of all the things that I've longed for seeing Kathy on Beverly Hills, the conversations about the family. Ooh, thank you. Thank you so much. Especially from this side, because God love her. We all know Kim is a queen and she's a legend, but we also know that she's really kind of the black sheep and the wild card out of the three sisters. We know that to be true. Um, So to see like the two quote unquote put together ones talking about the other one, ooh, that really got me. And we all know that their dynamic for the better part of their adult years is that it's never, it's very rare that all three of them are getting along. So what we're seeing now and what we're finding out is that Kathy and Kim are getting along and Kathy and Kyle are getting along, but Kyle and Kim, there's some strain there. So Kyle starts to talk about, Oh, I haven't talked to uh, Kim in a while. I tried to text her and Kathy's like, Oh, well you texted the wrong number. She got the wrong number. And it it was also like, Kathy, um, how would you know that Kyle accidentally texted the wrong number? You probably had this converse. Like it was clear that she had had a conversation with Kim where Kim is like, Oh, um, Kyle called, Kyle texted me and I, I just didn't text her back. And Kathy was like, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll just tell her you got a new number. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. We all know that. Right. So <laughs> as, as a as sister of three sisters, I, I I'm picking up what they're putting down. I got it. Um, Kyle keeps talking about how worried she is about Kathy or about Kim and, I just felt like it was the way she was talking about it. I can't really pinpoint an exact thing that she said or even how she said it, but something about Kyle talking about Kim in this moment really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It really was giving, I'm exposing something that I shouldn't be like it, but it was wrapped in concern and also the type of concern where Kyle Here's one thing she, that did bother me is that Kyle said, you know, like she doesn't have a husband and she doesn't have kids. And I just think about how sad that is. And it's like, okay, okay. We don't have to like, she's single. Okay. We don't have to like rub salt in the wound. Okay. So it was like, we understand that there could be concern. I mean, where there are all times where we've been concerned about other people during this lock-in lockdown and and this past year I get it uh, especially if you have somebody who has uh, addiction issues definitely get it but it wasn't really that it was more just like oh she just doesn't have a husband you know she's just so sad and alone and single and I just feel so sorry for her 
<laughs> it just like, it wasn't, I didn't like it. Here's what I don't like is that she points, she, she talks about Kim as if she's pathetic. There's always like a tone of like, I'm, I feel sorry for her. Not like I feel for her as like my sister. It's like, I feel sorry for her because her life is so sad, you know? And I just don't think that Kim needs that. And I don't need that. Okay. Thank you. Um, Kathy, I loved it. It was basically like, hey, she's fine. Kim is totally fine. I invited her Thanksgiving, but she wasn't comfortable with coming because there were going to be people, like a bunch of people there. But she's okay. We had a three-hour conversation. I talked to her and Kim said, hey, maybe this lockdown was good for all of us. It was all giving us a time to really reflect and pause and, you know, reassess things. So I think she's okay. Okay. Thank you, Kathy, for being a good sister about that. (laughs) And then she hits it out of the park once again, because Mauricio comes down to go work out. And Kyle's like, oh, was that your water bottle that you filled up? Because I just was drinking out of it. And Kathy goes, well, you know, you still have to be careful, like about sharing things. And Kyle's like, Kathy, he's my husband. (laughs) Girl, I think the jig is up. Who knows what of Mauricio has been in Kyle over the course of, you know, if I know anything about Mauricio, Kyle's mouth, please, they can share. (laughs) Anyway, um, so then we see Lisa going over to Erica's place for the first time. And thank you, editors, for letting us know that this place that she's renting is $9,500 a month. Imagine playing poverty, playing, oh, this used to be my playground over in Pasadena and talking about how much her life has changed in a place that is $10,000 a month. Now, did you guys see this? And I don't want to look it up. I could pause. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to spread a rumor that I heard it was unsubstantiated, but it was good enough tea for me to share it with you guys. So what I had heard allegedly was that uh, Erica, somebody had done their Googles and had found out that Erica was on listed as the owner of that property that she's saying that she rented from. She bought that property allegedly in 2009. And so basically when Erica's saying she's paying rent, she's paying rent to herself because she's been owning this place for so long. Again, I don't know if that's true. I would like to know. It would make sense to me, but let's not act like, oh, I oh, I just found this place in this in this neighborhood that I've always said that I wanted to live in. Oh, how convenient is that? You know, like, oh, of course she has property, right? I believe it. I believe it. But I could be wrong, but I believe it. Oh, also, I guess would this would be a good time to talk about how Erica is fucked. <laughs> fucked you guys um that the judge ordered that uh one of the families if you guys watch the housewife and the hustler it was the uh, Rui gomez family the guy who um had the severe burning from that uh his house explosion and the pipeline exploding in his neighborhood um the judge said oh hey Rui gomez family guess what you can go after um Erica for that judgment that you owe that you are owed from Tom 
you can go and try and get those coins from Miss Erica. And that is to the tune of 11, $11 million. <laughs> Damn, bitch. You are prayers up to you, Miss Erica. Prayers up. Because that means to me, at least by that judge's standards, that they have enough evidence against Erica to know that she knew that she took money from that family. Oof. Oof. Because I imagine, like, a judge is not just going to be like, hey, girl, um, you can get money from the chick's wife. I ain't never heard of the shit like that, so. <sighs> Oof. Because you know where I'd be if I found out somebody was about to come for me for $11 million? Bye-bye. See you later. Anyway, y'all. Um, can Hollywood open up a little bit more so Lisa can score some acting gigs? Because her walking around doing a tour of this house being like, Oh! Oh, wow! Oh, my God. When she walked into that guest's half bathroom and said, Are you kidding me? This is so fabulous. Like, girl, calm down. (laughs) It's a fucking... It is a toilet. It is a toilet with some wallpaper that you could see at the Beverly Hills Hotel. It's a... Everybody has that peel and stick wallpaper, girl. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) Production does ask Erica if it feels weird to have to worry about money for the first time in 22 years. And Erica says... Yeah, but let's not forget, um, I was just on Broadway. I had a New York Times bestselling book. I've had multiple shoe collaborations. I've had makeup collaborations with Too Faced. Um, I have enough money for this house and some Postmates. Like, don't worry about me. And of course, it's like, yeah, you're also on the show. So you know how much she's making. Are are you worried? (laughs) Let her know. Um, Sutton comes over with the stupid Dolce & Gabbana book that... I guess it features queens and I imagine it's probably like models and the top 1% of who buys their shit every year would be my guess. Um, because Sutton's featured in it twice. Um, she gives it the book to Erica probably cause she had it in her trunk and it's signed by Mr. Dolce. Oh my God. Thank you so much. And, uh, Sutton's like, you know, if she's feeling sad, she can go and just go through and see a picture of me because I'm in there twice. So, um, then Sutton asks Erica if she is happier now. And Erica's like, actually, I am. But it's kind of weird to admit that. And then she starts talking about how, you know, another aha moment for her was when she had told Tom that she started seeing a psychiatrist. And he was just like, oh, okay. And she says he basically just brushed it off because remember in my mind or excuse me in his mind what do I have to be depressed about harsh but true to the surprise of what should be nobody Sutton is still feeling some type of way about Crystal and she's still upset that Crystal would not even in her words even give up a little bit in the conversation with regard to using the term violation re this interaction she had with Sutton Mm, okay so Lisa says to Sutton okay you're still upset but is this something that we're gonna have to talk about again (laughs) like girl are we 
And Sun's like, well, you know, I think we're going to. But we're going to have to drop the peeping Tom aspect. Okay. Well, let's put a pin in that for later. So then we're going back to Garcelle's house. Again, like I said last week, I love seeing these uh, scenes, teen scenes with Garcelle. With her, her two teen boys, Jade and Jax. I think that's their names. You would think if I liked them so much that I would have known. I, I'm pretty sure their names are Jade and Jax. Um, so Jax, I want to say, it has a Japanese tutoring session that he decides to take in the kitchen. And again, another triggering moment for me as um, a child of a black mother is when they know that you need to be quiet and then they take this time to remember that they have all these things that they need to do that are going to interrupt that quiet. So Jax is like trying to learn Japanese. Garcelle's like, oh, I need to make chicken parmesan, but I don't have any cheese. Let me bang, bang, bang on the trolley to try to make this meal. And, oh, let me call your brother because right now would be the perfect time for him to do the one thing that is somehow the loudest possible thing when you need silence is emptying the dishwasher. So <laughs> it's it's truly the worst noise that you could possibly make. As soon as you need a moment when it's silent, it's like, you know when you just empty the dishwasher at a normal time and it feels like just a normal sound but suddenly when you need it to be quiet it's like a bulldozer happening in your kitchen I don't understand it I'm not really sure what happened but Jade starts getting a little bit of an attitude and he's not really trying to be on camera he just wants to go upstairs and not have to do any of this but I love Garcelle being like hey get yourself together like you're not going to talk to me like that um and also I love her like just telling him to stop with the attitude how incredible was it that I'm looking at this table and seeing that she's got Kroger brand zesty Italian dressing I mean we stand a humble queen when we see one Kroger brand girl that was probably like a 10 for 10 special good for you Uh, good for you I did love to see this little moment where Garcelle's kind of wrestling between the traditional way of being raised that she was raised and allowing Jade to have a moment where he was just like not feeling it. And she says, I just have to try and raise my kids differently because when I was growing up, you weren't allowed to have any emotion and I don't want to be that kind of parent. And I really like to see that. So then we go back to Lisa and Harry's and they're getting ready for the lunch and God, I'm so hungry myself. Oh, I, can I really get here and talk about bolognese at the end of this? I'm going to be screaming like Sutton. So Lisa and Harry's, they have decided to, um, Garcelle was, it's Garcelle's birthday around Garcelle's birthday. And she wanted to have a Birkin party. And I believe, I don't know if you have to exclusively buy and sell Birkins at a Birkin party, I would imagine you do, but it seemed very chic. But anyway, she was going to have a Birkin birthday party. It got canceled. And so Lisa's like, you know, we're kind of on the rocks from like a month ago where we had our conversation where Garcelle was like, yeah, 
I'm not really fucking with you right now, but we can work on it. And so Lisa's extending the olive branch of getting her birthday cake and more on that later. So can we pivot and time out for a second and talk about how at this point we're about halfway through the episode and this is the first time we're getting eyes on Dorit. So anybody, the powers that be editors, producers, somebody at Bravo, just DM me. I, if you don't want me to share it, I don't have to, but let me know. Is something going on? Why is Dorit getting the Teddy treatment? It just feels like we're quietly trying to push Dorit out. And I'm just very confused as to why that is. And then the other thing is that they made her scene, her solo part where, so Kyle's going over to Dorit's house and then they're going to drive to Lisa's together. Cause we know that they live like right down the street from each other. So then Kyle starts asking her about her new bridal line. And I just feel like what we did get of Dorit was boring, but I don't blame Dorit. It's almost as though, a producer said, hey, Dorit, talk to us about your entire career in fashion, where you are today, Beverly Beach, um, the bridal line, how you wish that you had designed your own bridal dress. What do you call it? Wedding gown. <laughs> and um, just go on. I'm going to go for lunch. You just keep talking. And that's what it said. It just felt so tedious and boring. But again, I don't blame Dorit. I blame the editor. It's just like it felt like a very long, almost like a behind the fabric special for Dorit. And it just felt very out of place with the rest of the episode. So Dorit and Kyle end up being the first to arrive and Lisa's nowhere to be found. So they have to sit there and make awkward small talk with Harry and talk about how he's the one that did the tablescape. Now, granted, Lisa did say Harry's the domestic one in the relationship. I'm just happy to cheer everybody along, but to find out that he did everything from the decor, seeing him get those like little pumpkins at the grocery store because he wanted to make a nice little, um, you know, dig decor for them. Like how cute is he? I love him. I will say that Lisa's hosting skills were zero. (laughs) The entirety of the episode, we like see her being like, kind of waffling between should I stay at the door should I have Harry let people in should I talk to these people it's like she didn't understand has she hosted something before it just felt very uh, B team I'm I'm not sure but anyway um so Doreen and Kyle are making small talk with Harry and they're looking at the grounds and I have to admit I two things I hate Lisa's house I love Lisa's house (laughs) I do not care for the like Tuscany yellow and brown. Thank God they painted that kitchen white. So it wasn't just so buttery yellow. Um, with that being said, the property, gorgeous, stunning, probably worth more than the house itself. It looks like, you know, from my experience as a, a you know, high end real estate agent from you know the school of fucking selling sunset um you know property in LA is like a lot and y'all don't get any sort of acreage it is laughable you guys one time I heard there was an announcement that came out last year maybe the year before of this huge announcement about how Kylie had bought a house 
that was like $13 million. And then I looked up like the description and they were like, it's on 0.8 of an acre. (laughs) The laugh I let out. $13 million, no fucking backyard. Anyway, Lisa and Harry's looks like their backyard looks very nice. Harry's talking about how the pool, they have a pool, they've got a garden, they've got all the space to do a bunch of stuff. And it looks like they have a nice view. But Harry was making small talk and saying, we have the pool, but we really have the pool. So it, our daughters will come back to the house. The grandkids will come back to the house. Like it's an investment. And Kyle, Kyle says, you know, Amelia's like 19. I had my first kid at 19. So, you know, it could happen anytime soon. And Harry's like, looks at her and is like, no, no. No, that's, that's not happening. I always forget about Kyle as a teen mom. She just doesn't give like teen mom energy to me. I don't really know what teen mom energy would be, especially when you meet them mom at like 40. I don't really know, but it's just, I just always forget that she had a kid at 19. So all the ladies show up. Sutton is like second to last behind Garcelle. But before Sutton can even sit down, Kathy says, Hi, Thomasina. Hi, Tommy. And for those of you who guys who don't watch, ow, but need to be reminded, she's calling her Thomasina as in Peeping Tom to reference, again, the time that Sutton walked in on Crystal to give her her jacket back. So Sutton's like, oh, are we starting with that again? That's fun. I'm, I'm excited about that. In a confessional, Sutton says she's getting really tired of the Peeping Tom violation stuff and that the girls need to stop. But... We never hear her tell Kathy to stop, do we? Hmm, interesting. Everybody sits down for the bolognese that actually looked quite good. I would love to have the recipe. Harry and Lisa start talking about how they had planned a trip to Mexico originally with the family for Thanksgiving, but they decided not to go. And we see Kyle be like, oh, like horse whispering to uh lisa um hey do you um do you think that amelia's gonna be there with scott disick sorry sorry do you think scott's good do you think scott's gonna be scott disick amelia and scott are they still together are they gonna be together on thanksgiving and lisa's like no actually they're not and I wanted, me, Kara, wanted to be like, uh, side note, could we just put a little pop-up video factoid here that, um, he probably wasn't there because at the time he was still film, filming Keeping Up and this would have aligned pretty much with the times where he was, uh, filming scenes with the whole family about how he still wanted to get back together with Courtney and that how he would do anything to get back together with her. He was probably busy doing that, Kyle, if you were wondering. You could text Chris about it. She'll tell you all about it. She was there. She, she's your best friend and she was there. She knows. Anyway. Um, so then the obvious conversation turns to Scott and Amelia and the age difference. And we have to get another bunch of like group confessionals of what the other ladies think. Would you... Uh, how would you feel if your daughter dated somebody twice their age? And um, Crystal says, hey, I was 20 when I met Rob and when we got together, but we're an exception to the rule. And of course, we all know Kyle feels very against it. And 
Erica makes some weird comment about how she's done it, but Amelia's happy, but she's not right now. And, you know, it's anybody's guess what could happen. Uh, okay. Um, and then they all turn to Harry and ask him his thoughts and his opinion. And Harry's like, well, you know what? The most enduring issue is, of course, the age difference. But then I think about how I had a relationship that was, you know, 15 years difference. And kind of chalked it up to you I really can't say anything but you kind of can because his situation was him as a 29 year old dating a 44 year old something that is a difference but not a, oh my god this man or this woman is grooming him sort of difference that 29 to 44 I don't really think anything about 19 and 38 you're damn right I've got some opinions about that but Harry excuses himself and then he comes out with the cake for Garcelle and God bless Garcelle. They light the candles and tell her to make a wish. And what does she wish for? I want him hung like a horse and Harry is taken aback, but then says, Hey, be careful what you wish for. And though, you know, um, if I'm, my memory is serving me correctly of, um, having access to a nude Harry Hamlin. I think he might be pretty good authority on that issue. So, you know, congrats to you, Lisa. Congratulations to us all. Um, then Garcella, I thought this was very kind of her made a note to thank everybody, but also specifically look at Lisa, look at her eye in the eyes and say, thank you. Like, I recognize this gesture that you're doing is kind and I recognize it and I thank you for it. Um, and so then the ladies start bringing out presents and it, the cameras aren't really focused on anybody in particular, but you hear Sutton say, well, dadgummit, I didn't bring anything. And then we see the receipts pulled. Thank you, Bravo editors, because y'all really didn't have to do this, but I appreciated that you did. That they pulled the receipt from Lisa either the week before or a few days before. Anyway, it was prior to this event where Lisa's saying, Hey guys, I'm going to, you guys are going to come over to my place. I'm going to give Garcelle a cake. If you guys want to give her gifts, you're free to do so. Meaning, Sutton knew full well that everybody could, did have the option to give gifts. It was presented to everybody. She's the only one who didn't. And now she's like, fuck, she's embarrassed. And this is where it begins. I hope we all realize it. That Sutton was not indicating at all whatsoever that she was feeling some type. Well, I guess I shouldn't. We knew that she was feeling some type of way. We didn't know that she was going to carry that into this specific event because she said, I don't want to talk about the peeping Tom violation stuff. Fine. Yes, we knew she was feeling some type of way. Does that give her carte blanche to act the way she did? Fucking no. It was weird. It was uncalled for. It was so extra and it was annoying. So... If she's starting off embarrassed because she's realizing that everybody else got Garcelle a gift except for her, the one who allegedly isn't she closest to Garcelle and you didn't think to give her a present? Okay. You've, we've seen you give Erica two gifts now. 
a whole package of goodies for getting a divorce and a nice little housewarming and you knew that it was going to be your closest friend in the in the group's birthday and you didn't get her a present very interesting she's embarrassed so compounded on that embarrassment is the fact that the first gift came from Crystal, Kyle, and Kathy. Now she's really pissed. They got her a very thoughtful gift. Apparently when they were in Tahoe, Garcelle had seen a ring that she really liked. And Crystal was like, very genuine. But I know the like to Sutton, this was like, oh, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Still talking about, I, I remember that you saw that ring and you really liked it and it had been on my mind and how, like, I just, I knew that this was something that you wanted and it was like such a nice moment, but you could see Chris or uh, Sutton from across that table being like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> how dare you? Kyle seems to be the only person who's seeing Sutton seething and she decides to take this opportunity to sp- stir the pot. So she's like, hey, psst, hey, Sutton, are you okay? I'm going to go over there, Sutton. I'm going to go over there and talk to you. Hey, Sutton. Now, now Kyle is sitting directly behind Crystal. Directly. <laughs> Sutton is diagonal from Crystal. So I don't know how it would be possible that Crystal did not hear this conversation, but Kyle's playing like she's being quiet and like people can't hear her. So... And also, she's playing dumb. Like, she doesn't know why Sutton's upset. Like, of course you know why Sutton's upset. Like, we all know it's stupid and irrational, but you know why she's mad, girl. Come on. So, (laughs) she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And Sutton's layering on her lipstick, looking in her little compact and being like, you know, I just don't like being where I don't like people. And Kyle says, well, who don't you like? And even Sutton's like, girl, come on. Kyle, come on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, so then Kyle's like, okay, well, I guess I will take you over here. I'm going to take you separately from the rest of the group. Let's go to the bar. So they go to the bar and Sutton's like, I just have a very difficult time being fake. Okay. And in a confessional, Sutton says, it's hard for me to sit across the table from somebody who obviously doesn't like me. They've been talking badly about me. They've been talking about how my back and she's looking at me very smugly, frankly. (laughs) It's like, she's not looking at you at all. 
but okay. Sutton tells Kyle there's no resolution to any of this. And Kyle's like, oh, you still feel weird about the crystal stuff? And Sutton's like, well, yeah, obviously. And then she starts going on and on about how Crystal has been talking about her behind her back and she's had it. And in confessional, Kyle's like, this is behavior. This behavior is not the Sutton I know. And she's extremely emotional right now. And quite frankly, irrational. Sutton starts yelling about, you know, violation, violation, fire, fire everywhere. Now she, I, I gotta go because violation, even though nobody has said this, nobody has said this. The shit that she puts on Crystal is so wild to me. It, I feel like a crazy person where I'm not seeing where everybody's like team Sutton about this. I don't get it. Last week or whatever week it was where Sutton, excuse me, Crystal is having to defend the true definition of a word versus the social definition of the word. And people want her to apologize because of their perception of a word, a word that she used and a word that she was very clear about. And when people called her to the carpet about it, she was saying, Hey, I mean violation. I said what I said. I'm not going to change my word because, hey, guys, the definition of the word is exactly what happened to me. Why she was having to defend how she felt about a situation that made her uncomfortable in order to cater to Sutton's feelings and her sensitivities and insecurities is wild to me. And this is what fucks me up. We... And I said this last week, but I'm going to like expound on it more is that Crystal does not behave in a way that we as women have been trained to believe that we need to be behaving. And so now I'm seeing a lot of internalized misogyny jumping out and saying, we don't like Crystal behaving this way. We don't like, you're essentially saying is we don't like, we can't say that she's wrong, but we don't like the fact that she will not cater herself to somebody else's delusions because we all have had to do that we've all had to take that l we've all had to be in an experience where we've had to like apologize for things that we don't really want to apologize for say that we're sorry when we're not um bend ourselves mold ourselves meld ourselves to uh a person's feelings even though we don't agree with them just to get along crystal's not doing that and so everybody wants to be mad at her for not playing the game but hey guys none of us have to play this game we can all be free we can all say how we feel not take it back not apologize say that we felt this way and people can accept that it can happen to you too if you let it you're free I'm telling you all, you're free. (laughs) Sutton wants to make this a, like, Portia and Candy, you raped me in the basement situation. And I'm telling you what, (laughs) Candy had every right to be pissed as fuck about that in perpetuity for the rest of her life. If I were Candy... I would just be pulling Portia's tracks out every time I saw her. You're like, you're not going to sit here and say that I drugged and raped you. Not happening, bitch. 
But what Candy does was handle that with grace and say, I know that I'm correct. I'm standing firm in my convictions. So I'm not going to let her take me there every time. And I'm certainly not going to get this check taken away from me. So I'm going to handle this with grace. But Sutton is like demanding the sort of respect that Candy could have and had every right to demand out of Portia and Phaedra. And yet, because that that is real. Candy's bag really could have been fucked up by somebody saying on camera, you drugged and attempted to rape me. That is a serious thing. Sutton saying, I'm using the word violated because I felt in that moment that I was violated. A feeling that she has every right to be validated by. If that's how you felt, she deserves to feel that way. Sutton is demanding the kind of respect that Candy didn't demand, could have, had every right to, but didn't. This is not that serious. Sutton has said, you guys, I understand that you guys may interpret it, interpret my use of the word violation as a sexual thing. And even though I was naked and even though I was uncomfortable I'm not saying that she sexually violated me. She has said that multiple times now. Let it go. Let the mouse go. We even saw a flashback where Crystal and Kyle got together and she said, hey, I'm not trying to make it a sexual thing. The sexuality part of portion of this violation did not come from me. Kyle says to Sutton, I need you to be okay. And Sutton's like, I'm not okay. I can't get it together. So then the rest of the ladies are kind of hearing that Sutton or somebody is yelling. So they're like going down to figure out what is going on. And Sutton's crying. And she tries to lie and say, well, I just have allergies. She's standing behind the bar. (laughs) She grabs it with a bottle of either vodka or tequila. And she says, you know, I pray to Jesus every day. And you think he would throw me a bone. (laughs) then she starts pouring a drink and says i'm upset (laughs) y'all in her confessional garcelle says i think sutton is more hormonal than my kids and my kids are teenagers but then sutton says she's still upset about all the alleged accusations and garcelle's like sutton we're done with this like please don't let's not know you this and sutton's like i know that i need to move on And I will, but it's hard for me to sit there and pretend like everything's great and hunky-dory. And Kathy says, very earnestly and somberly, she looks at Sutton and says, who is (laughs) hunky-dory? Everybody just stares at her like, ma'am, we can't even do this with you right now, Kathy. (laughs) And she looks more and more confused. And in a confessional, Kathy says, I don't know, I just thought that maybe it was somebody's nickname. Who? I don't know who that is. So... The only thing better than that moment of everybody being like, Kathy, come on, is Cameron's just very quickly flashing to Dorit, who's standing there. She's in the circle, but not quite. <laughs> Dorit's staring at herself in her phone, turn on her cameras, just looking at herself and checking her face like, girl, Sutton, keep talking. I'm, I'm going to check this beat, see how my makeup is bearing under this hot sun. So... Then Dorit's like, okay, let's all sit down and talk this out. And at this point, Crystal is down there. So Sutton says, we're going to have to fix this because I'm not happy with her. And she points at Crystal. 
And Crystal says, me again? Now, Crystal has no idea what is going on. And Sutton says, you've said a lot of things about me. And Crystal says, did I say them tonight? And Sutton's like, well, no, but I can't sit across from you. And Crystal says, oi. <laughs> to which Sutton set, Sutton off and Sutton's like, please do not disrespect my feelings. Okay. And so then Crystal says, okay, let's stop sugarcoating things. What specifically, Sutton, do you need to hear from Crystal? And Sutton says, well, I don't need anything from her. Why the fuck are we here then? What, what's the problem? Why are you crying? Why are you asking Jesus to throw you a bone? What, what's the problem? So Erica's standing in front. <laughs> this killed me too. Erica's standing in front of the rest of the women with her hands up like, what the fuck is going on here? Everybody is so confused. Garcelle's like, no, really, like, what is it that you need to hear from Crystal to end this? <laughs> if not for you, then for everybody else, please, for all of America, what do you need to hear? So Sutton says, well, I just think it's very shitty that you've used many words about me. And Crystal says, so what are the words? And Sutton's like, you need to let me say my piece. And so Crystal's like, okay. So Sutton says, well, the word violate is really crazy to me. What crazy planet do you live on, Crystal? And Crystal says, um, not yours. <laughs> The unflappable, the unsinkable Crystal Kung Minkoff. She is here. She has arrived. She, I think people get pissed off because she does not give an inch, but she doesn't need to. She doesn't need to. She is a full grown adult. If somebody's saying, what crazy planet do you live on? You expect her to not come back and be like, well, if, like, if this is how you're going to come at me to try and resolve something, then, like, I'm going to give it to you right back. I'm totally with you. Like, if you're going to be like, how crazy are you? What crazy planet do you come from? I'm going to be like, if this is how we're playing, then this is how we're playing. Not the one that you're from. How about that? And now Sutton's now all wind up like a like a little McDonald's toy. And whose fault is that? Everybody wants to blame Crystal. No. <laughs> you didn't. If you don't like it, the, you know... Don't put it out there if you don't like it coming back. Garcelle at this point is over. She grabs a bottle of whatever the fuck and says, you know, we're not going anywhere with this. So Crystal says, I'm not going to take back the word I used. The word was used correctly. And Sutton's like, well, you can't take it back, Crystal. It's out there. You can't take it back. And Crystal's like, yeah, I know. And I would say the word again. So what now? <laughs> so Garcelle again says, what do we need to move on? And Kyle says, I just think that Sutton needs an apology. And Crystal shrugs and says, no. And then she takes a beat and says, like, look, I'll give you something, Sutton. I apologize if you're upset. And then Sutton's like, well, you can't be sorry that I'm upset. That's not an apology. And Crystal's like, okay, well, then I take it back. <laughs> LOL. LOL to me. <laughs> um, then Crystal's like, look up the word. It, violation, is an abuse of privacy, which is what you did to me. Garcelle tries to take Sutton's side for a bit. And she's like, well, she didn't know that you were naked. And Crystal's like, I know she didn't know. I'm not talking about being naked, actually. And then Sutton's like, why are you so defensive? Like, what was going on? What were you so defensive about? And Crystal says, you're upset because you're jealous. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and Sutton. 
Clinton is out. I'm out. I'm out. Fuck you, Crystal. No, ma'am. Jealous of what? Your ugly leather pants. And Kyle's like following after Sutton is like, okay, ugly leather pants. Okay. Like try to do assess. Okay. It was bad. It wasn't so bad. Ugly leather pants. We can get past that. I trust her. We can move on from ugly leather pants. And, uh, you know, everybody's chasing after Sutton. Kathy's telling Lisa, Lisa, you're the host. Go follow Sutton. It's your home. And Crystal is just loving it. Loving it. And I think that's another reason why people didn't like it is because Crystal was enjoying herself. But Crystal had every right to enjoy herself. Every right, excuse me, every right to say, I know that this is bothering you, but it's just going to have to bother you. And like, I'm kind of thinking that your reaction and your overreaction to this is a little bit funny. It's amusing. I laughed. I can't be mad at Crystal for laughing when I am, you know. Who are me to judge? Um, so then everybody's chasing after her. Sorry. Crystal's <laughs> um, just smiling. The episode ends on yet another to be continued. And I'm just loving it. I'm really looking forward to the next episode where we finally see um, Erica try to cry her way through um, this lawsuit that was alleging that she only divorced Tom because she wanted to get separated from the money and they could hide their assets. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I hope you guys are too. Join me next week on yet another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for speaking.